Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom, a supplement to our monthly podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. Here we discuss shareholder activism with some of the industry's top experts. I'm Ilana Duray, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and today we are chatting with Craig Wadler, a managing director at Molis & Company. Craig specializes in shareholder advisory and activism defense, providing strategic advice to corporations facing activist investors and other contested shareholder situations. Today, Craig will talk to us about M&A activism and how companies should react when under pressure from investors to get the deal done. Hi, Craig. Welcome to the show. Last year, we saw an increase in M&A activism. Why was that? Well, I think M&A activism is a function of of a few factors. One, you know, the overall M&A market was up in 2018 over 2017. And as a result of more activity level, it's easy for hedge funds to see ways in which companies they've invested in should be participating in an M&A wave. Obviously, in 2018, towards the back end of the year, it was a tougher year. There were positions that some of the activist funds had on that seemed to be going in the wrong direction, pushing for a sale as a way to clean up those positions, generate returns, participate in the dry powder that's out there in the private equity community. And as an activist, performance is, you know, is essential for them making money and as well as for just overall returns. And so in the Penelope of things that they offer to a company to go do, M&A seems to be, you know, the one with the clearest path and the clearest result. Activists targeted a few companies without buyers in sight in 2018. Is this approach wise? Look, when an activist approaches a company, they, they look at it from the perspective of, is this company interesting as it relates to M&A to either private equity buyers or strategic buyers? Without a specific target or somebody who would be the purchaser being either recommended to or spoken to or, 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 or made aware of by the activists, I, I don't think that because there are certain targets that they put out there that are, you know, it's more, you should sell the company and people will show up. I think that's part of their diligence. They know there's a, a robust buyer set that's out there. And, you know, financing markets are strong. So private equity becomes, in most cases, a viable source. The, the, the activist funds have, you know, significant communication with the private equity funds. So they know where their interest lies. And so as opposed to pinning their hopes on a specific buyer, it's probably a better strategy for the activists to just express their knowledge that there is interest out there in these targets. How should a company defend itself against charges that it is not pursuing a strategic review with enough vigor? Um, well, a strategic review, I mean, most strategic reviews are not done publicly, right? They're not announced publicly. Companies and boards take great pride in how the company's strategy is playing out. There's a, a desire to keep much of that private. In fact, just because of the stakes that are out there in terms of, you know, potential sales of the company, sales of divisions, how it affects employees, how it affects customers. So, you know, most companies we would advise that you want to do that in a private manner. Now, if investors are pushing on companies to explore alternatives and they just don't get a sense that anything is happening or, or that it's being taken seriously, it's really incumbent upon the company to communicate and engage with their shareholders and provide the appropriate level of assurances that a process is being done. So that involves, that, look, that gets to credibility. 
okay, the credibility of a management team and a board. And, you know, our, our advice to our clients about credibility is around engagement and understanding where your shareholders are and understanding their concerns and then being able to communicate with them in a way that allows them to gain confidence that you're looking out for the interests of all shareholders as opposed to building an empire or, or whatever nefarious thing that a, that a shareholder might think. Last year, we saw Elliott Management take on the role of private equity firm as it bid for Athena Health, QEP Resources, and others. Can we expect to see others follow Elliott's lead on this front? Yes, yes. I, look, this goes in waves. And, and so um, most of the people listening probably weren't, you know, around in the active or weren't following activism pre-financial crisis in 2008. And pre-financial crisis, uh, there were many activist funds that were participating in trying to either buy or participate as a, as a co-investor in LBO activity with private equity firms. I think it's a trend that happens as the activists get more comfortable um, with the operational nature of their campaigns. Their networks expand, their access to capital expands, their holding periods expand. And as a result, they become a more credible buyer. Now, are there intentions to buy companies? I would say in certain cases, Elliott being an example of one, yes. I mean, I think Elliott, you know, they have a dedicated private equity fund. They have participated in LBO activity for years. They have access to lots of capital and they've demonstrated a core competence in buying companies. Others, I, I'd be more skeptical. I, I would think that what they're really trying to do, and, and we talked earlier about M&A activism, is find a way to initiate an M&A process. And the one thing you can say about hedge fund investors is they have a price that they deem to be what they will pay for something. And they're happy to have somebody top them, but they're also happy to own it at a price that is sufficiently in their minds cheap. Now, what this does is this does create a need for the board to assess the seriousness and the credibility and the certainty of whether or not an, an offer is truly uh, worth considering and extending uh, the necessary process to filter out whether or not it's serious and whether or not it can be done. But as the hedge funds and private equity funds continue, you know, move in the same direction and products become duplicative, uh, you'll see more firms moving in that area, causing companies to have to be prepared or understand that their shareholders may not only be minority shareholders, they sometimes they might have a view of becoming a majority shareholder. Now, even though activists oppose deals, those deals generally tend to pass. Should companies still be wary of opposition, even if they think they can ultimately gain shareholder approval? Yes. I, I mean, look, again, this gets to the credibility of the company and the communication philosophy of the company. When a company does a, you know, a large M&A deal that's going to involve a shareholder vote, they have to communicate with their shareholders. And while shareholders might have a view about why a deal is not right in terms of the price or the structure or the, or the motivations, that's information that's good for a company to, to understand, uh, to be able to communicate on and to think about in while they're doing their next M&A deal. I mean, the reality is shareholders today take more time and, and a more informed view than at any time in the past. And as a result, 
boards of companies who are representing the shareholders have to take into account the considerations that they're saying. Now, I don't think at all that they need to change the way they're doing M&A deals. I don't think that they should, you know, look at M&A as, you know, we shouldn't do M&A because our shareholders are going to voice concerns. But I think understanding their shareholders' concerns allows them to structure deals appropriately and then most importantly, communicate deals and, and integrate the deals. And that level of transparency or communication or trust, whatever you want to call it, will help companies in the future as they embark on you know, other M&A strategies. Now, it's interesting because non-traditional activist investor Wellington Capital came out in opposition to Bristol-Myers acquisition of Celgene. I'm curious, can we expect to see more non-traditional activists come out against deals? Yeah, and, and so I, I would take it out of the M&A context. I think that's a situation where it was M&A related and Wellington had a view and wanted to articulate their view publicly. So, you know, that was directly related to that transaction. I do think there is a trend, though, for the what, what are called the active managers, so the Wellingtons and Fidelities of the world, to become more vocal as shareholders. I think they've almost lost their way a little bit in terms of their place in the ecosystem of investing and, and communication with the companies they invest in. The activist hedge funds have been the loudmouth, the the breaking glass and and calling out companies and arguing for change and generated, in, you know, for in most years have generated positive returns. A lot of those ideas that those activist funds act on you know, come from those institutional investors who are long-term holders, longer-term holders, I should say, than, than, than the hedge funds. And then you have on the other side, you have the passive funds who have become very governance-focused and have distinct views on what companies should do and, you know, are voting with dissidents in campaigns, you know, a quarter to a third of the time. As a result, these active, ironically active funds haven't been as active. And so what you're seeing now is their awakening. They, they have always communicated behind the scenes with companies, with shareholders, and now they're looking for a forum to do it publicly because they carry a lot of weight. They are, in, in lots of ways, the longest term, most knowledgeable shareholders of these companies. And again, companies need to engage. We advise they need to engage with their longer term holders and have conversations that are more than just earnings recaps. They need to really understand what they believe their shareholders are feeling and, and, and are challenged by with respect to their investment. What do you think we can expect from M&A activism for the rest of 2019? Look, we, we think M&A is going to be, you know, it's going to be a solid year in M&A as it's been, you know, in, this, in the cycle we're in. Um, as a result, we expect that activism will participate in it. The activists will cause for companies to either sell themselves, sell divisions, spin out divisions, cause events in which value can be had for the, for the shareholders. Um, and so we expect that, that there will be, you know, in our statistics, about a third of the campaigns that are out there have an M&A component to it. That's been fairly consistent over, you know, the last several years. And we expect that that's, that's what's going to happen in 2019. We do also expect, though, that more of these public company M&A deals will have shareholders who are challenging the deals or questioning the deals, a la Bristol-Myers. And that's just, again, the evolution of the shareholder from what was an ARB mentality looking for nickels and dimes on prices to more sophisticated views of do deals make sense and are they being done for the right reasons and publicly challenging 
companies to defend their strategies, which they do anyway. I mean, they do, the, the companies do articulate the strategy. It's just now there, there might be some questions around it that they have to answer to. Uh, but companies need to be prepared heading into public company M&A that that's another factor in the, in the decision tree as to how to approach their shareholders. Will volatility within the market help or hinder deals? I mean, look, I think volatility, volatility, um, I wouldn't say hinders deals. I think it always just makes deals more challenging. You know, the unknown causes companies to sometimes be a little bit more conservative. But, but our view is that the market looks really good, that the activism market continues. Well, while the first quarter was down versus the first quarter in 2018 in terms of activity level, the dialogue with corporates around activism couldn't be stronger. And I think it's just, we believe it's a product and a conversation that every public company around the world wants to have right now. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. That was Craig Wadler a managing director at Molis & Company. That's it for this episode of the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom. If you would like to join us on a future episode, or if you have any comments or questions, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana Duray. Thanks for listening.